Good morning, Living Hope Columbus family. Thank you so much for joining us for this very unique and different online worship gathering. Um, I'm reminded of David's words in Psalm 57 where he says this, I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. I'm reminded from that simple passage and other passages in Scripture today that God is in complete control. And what is perceived as chaos, our God still reigns from His throne today. The gospel is still true, Jesus is still risen, and heaven is still our home. Earlier this week, under the recommendation of the CDC and the governor of Ohio, we decided today to cancel our in-person Sunday morning worship gathering and move to this online-only opportunity for adults, but also resources available for children to engage in worship today as well. Our goal is to be compliant with their request, but also do our best as much as we can to be part of the overall solution. So I encourage you today as we participate in this, sing the songs with us. Open your Bible as a family together. Grab a pen and take notes and participate in our prayers. Friends, I believe that what we are participating in right now at this moment, and potentially for the next few weeks as things progress in our country, will go down as one of the greatest gatherings of Christians ever across our nation. As we tune into this live stream right now, there are thousands of Christians all over our country who are gathering with their churches through online platforms. Today, pastors are going to preach some of the most timely messages that are going to go down as one of the greatest messages in our generation. I believe the church is going to be mobilized like never before over these next several weeks. You see, this whole scenario in our country, this should have crippled us. But instead, I think what we've seen is that the church is stronger. It showed our resilience, it expanded our mission, and it proved that the gospel cannot be stopped. You see, friends, when it seemed earlier this week that the gates of hell were going to stand tall, the gospel stood taller. And although we can't gather in person this morning and we are scattered, remember, in the Bible we learn over and over that when the church is scattered, that's when we make our biggest impact. And I'm praying today that a movement of the gospel is on our doorstep as a nation. Well, again, wherever you are today, on the other side of this video, whether you're tuning in live now or you're watching this video later on or maybe even listening to our podcast, we are so glad that you've joined us today and that you're part of this special service. Just to remind us again, friends, the gospel is resilient. The word of God cannot be stopped. And the church is alive and well during these trying times. So if you have a copy of God's Word, hopefully either in print or on your phone, I encourage you to open that up with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, we're stepping away from our Talk is Cheap series uh, for a moment, and we're going to look backwards into the book of Genesis as we talk about this idea that I've titled, The Strangest Wrestling Match in History. Genesis chapter 32, if you want to stand with me wherever you are in honor of reading God's Word at Living Hope. We say often that one of our values is that we are for the gospel, which means we elevate and celebrate Jesus, but also the word of God as well. Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 24, reading to the end of the chapter. And God's word says this, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. 
When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Verse 29. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob named that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Peniel, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket, because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you again for this day, this opportunity. God, the privilege we have to gather in a unique way to lift the name of Jesus. God, what should have crippled us, Lord, we said earlier, made us stronger. Thank you for the scattered church this morning that we can still worship despite the circumstances and lift the name of Jesus because he is worthy. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, hands and feet to live the gospel this week as we chase after Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. The late Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite pastors, had several statements he used to make that still ring true many years later, although he has crossed over to heaven. In the past few weeks, one of these statements that I keep running back to often has been this. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. In the wake of the current reality that you and I are now living in, probably for the foreseeable future as things begin to resolve themselves, I continue to run back to that quote, but also I've been asking myself some very important questions that I encourage you to ask too during our time in God's Word today. And those questions are this, when tragedy or when the unknown, or even when a crisis creeps its way into your life, how do you respond? When you are in the wake of what is seemingly the worst moment of your life, does your faith still stand? When your life seems to find itself at this odd intersection of uncertainty, and you're really not sure if God will come through or how God will come through, will that day drive you from your faith or will it drive you to a deeper trust in God? Our story today here in Genesis 32 actually picks up backwards all the way back in Genesis chapter 25. But I want to make sure that we know today some of this background that really leads us up to Genesis 32. There's a lot that has happened here in the book of Genesis that I want to catch, up, uh, catch us up on, so bear with me for a moment as we really catch up on the history of this story. In Genesis chapter 25, Abraham, who's the father of the Jewish nation, he dies at 175 years of age. One of his sons, Isaac, and his wife, Rebecca, are then expecting twins, and she notices, the Bible says in Genesis 25, that they're fighting inside of her womb. If you look at Genesis 25, verse 23, God's word says this, that there's two nations in your womb, two people will come from you, and they will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Simply put, God tells them that her kids are going to fight the majority of their lives, but there's going to be a special blessing from God on the younger son, Jacob. 
The Bible goes on to tell us that Esau is born first. The Bible actually says he looks like this hairy, furry, Chewbacca-like creature. Then Esau comes out following him, holding on to his foot. It's the strangest picture, one of the strangest in the Bible, but it's there, so we're going to read it. I think it's funny. Esau's name actually means hairy. Jacob's name, his younger brother, actually means one who grafts or a deceiver or a liar. Now, I'm not one to really know how to name kids well, I guess, but I can't imagine those conversations as Esau got older. And he said, hey, mom, um, why did you name me Esau? And she said, well, son, because you look like a goat, right? It's the strangest picture, I think, there. We see later in Genesis 25, 7, that Jacob and Esau have grown up just a little bit. Esau's an outdoorsman. He loves to hunt, be smelly, and eat things. He's a daddy's boy. The Bible says Isaac favored Esau. Jacob on the opposite end of the spectrum is an indoor guy. He likes to cook and he likes to knit. He's a mama's boy. Rebecca favored him. Well, one day Jacob was cooking a stew. Esau came back into the house from working outside. The Bible says Genesis 25, 29. He was exhausted. So he asked his younger brother Jacob for some stew that he was making. Well, Jacob, whose name means liar and deceiver, becomes rather sneaky and negotiates this trade with Esau. Most brothers would be like, hey, man, just give me a buck, man. You can have some of my stew, but not Jacob. He aims high. He figures, I got nowhere else to go, so I'm going to go up. Here's what he tells Esau. Give me your birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this, what is a birthright? Basically, that was the inheritance that would be given to the children uh, after the father had passed away, typically given the majority to the oldest son. Typically, what would happen is the father's wealth would be divided into thirds. The first two-thirds would be given to the oldest son, and then the remaining final third would be given to all the rest of the children. So this was a pretty big deal for Esau to give up. Look at what he says, Genesis 25, verse 32. He says, I'm about to die, so what good is my birthright to me? If I was there, I probably would have told Esau, dude, calm down, you're just hungry. It's not a big deal. Grab a Pop-Tart, you'll be fine. Esau, probably a teenager at this point, what's he doing? He's not thinking long-term. He's only thinking about short-term satisfaction. So he gave Jacob his birthright, and Jacob's living up to his name, the deceiver. In Genesis chapter 26, Esau marries a pagan woman, and the Bible says he makes his life miserable for his mom and dad. Genesis 27, Isaac is now at the end of his life. It's time to confirm that blessing from God upon his children. But watch what happens. Isaac favored Esau. He had every intention of giving that blessing to him. Basically, what Isaac was doing was attempting to undermine the plan of God. And instead of trusting God, his wife Rebecca then is going to undermine him to get the blessing upon Jacob. There's so much going on in this story, and this will make sense as we get to Genesis 32 in a moment. But it really does sound like a soap opera or some reality show on television. Isaac, the Bible says in Genesis 27, can't see. He can barely hear. So he calls in Esau. He says, hey, go hunting. Bring back dinner. And then he would bestow this blessing upon him, that birthright blessing. Well, Rebecca hears this and devises her own plan. She grabs food out of the freezer, dresses up Jacob like a goat. The Bible says she literally put goat skins on him. I can't imagine what he looked like. Jacob goes into his dad's room, tricks Isaac into thinking he's Esau, and he ends up getting the blessing. Can't make this stuff up. So Esau comes back home, finds out Jacob has stolen his blessing from their father. Isaac begins trembling. Long story short, Esau's angry. He's ticked off. 
And he decides, he says, that when dad dies, he's going to kill Jacob. Genesis 28, what does Jacob do? He runs. He fears for his life, and he runs. We see God then confirm his blessing. That that, that blessing he had given Abraham was going to be bestowed upon Jacob. If you've heard that story of the stairway to heaven with the angels going up and down, that's here in Genesis 28. In Genesis 29, Jacob makes his way to his uncle Laban's house where he's welcomed and exchanged for work. Laban says, hey, I'll, I'll pay you for the work that you do for me. Instead, Jacob says, rather than pay me, let me marry your younger daughter, Rachel. Deal. Seven years passes. He works for seven years to get this younger daughter. The marriage is made official. Jacob wakes up the next day after their marriage ceremony and realizes, I've married the wrong girl. Listen, folks. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how you don't know. But somehow Jacob didn't, and Laban deceived him. So they make another deal. Laban says, all right, work for me for another seven years, and then you can have Rachel. Deal, Jacob says. In Genesis 30, seven years passes. Jacob is ready to leave with his family. Laban says, well, if you stay a little longer in exchange, Jacob says, give me some sheep and some spotted goats. Laban agrees. So for six more years, Jacob sticks around. He breeds his sheep, and the Bible says he becomes very rich and wealthy. This isn't really a bad gig for him. Genesis 31, God tells Jacob it's time to go back home. Twenty years has passed at this point. So Jacob, being Jacob, deceives his uncle Laban and flees. Three days later, Laban realizes he's gone. He spends a week chasing after Jacob. After all, think about it. Jacob has taken his daughters, his grandkids, and a whole lot of his stuff. It would have been just like like nice to have a simple goodbye or something from Jacob, but he just runs. Well, God ends up coming to Laban in a dream, warns him, do not harm Jacob. He eventually catches up to Jacob. Jacob and Laban have it out. They fight. Then they make a covenant together. They part ways, no hard feelings. Now we've made it to Genesis 32. You know everything that's transpired in Jacob's life up to this point, but in Genesis 32, he's about to meet up with Esau and reconcile 20 years after their departure and the deception. And at this crossroads, here's our main point for today. We see a testing of Jacob's faith. Would he really trust God in the midst of an uncertain situation? Two points I want us to see if you take notes. I encourage you to do so. First off, we see Jacob's tested faith. In Genesis 32, look at verses 1 through 2. The Bible says this, that Jacob went on his way and God's angels met him. And when he saw them, Jacob said, this is God's camp. So he called that place Mahiamim. So Jacob is right on this threshold of going back home to meet Esau. He's been running for 20 years. And right before he gets to that final leg of his journey, the Bible says that angels meet him. I think it's interesting. That would probably seem like a bigger deal than the Bible lets on, but, but maybe not. And then Jacob continues to be Jacob. His whole life, his name means deceiver. And so instead of trusting God completely, God told him to go back here. He continues to be a deceiver. Look at verses 3 through 5. So Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the territory of Edom. And he commanded them, you are to say to my lord Esau, This is what your servant Jacob says. I've been staying with Uncle Laban, and I've been delayed until now, 20 years. Doesn't seem like much of a delay, but that's what Jacob calls it. 
He says to Esau, I have oxen, I have donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent this message to inform my Lord in order to seek your favor. What's Jacob do? He sends servants ahead of him to scope out the situation, to see how's Esau going to react now that he's coming home after 20 years. Maybe things have changed. But first, look at what he does here. I think this is so interesting. First off, he makes sure that Esau knows that he's got a whole bunch of stuff. He makes sure that Esau knows. He says, hey, Esau, I got a whole bunch of oxen, a whole bunch of donkeys, a whole bunch of flocks, and a whole bunch of slaves. Just so you know. Why is he doing that? He's trying to appease Esau. He's trying to show Esau, man, I got some stuff, so if you leave me alone, I will give it to you. You see, he's forgotten what God said in Genesis 31.3, that he would be with him. Jacob's trying to make his own way. Secondly, he's trying to flatter Esau. Listen, years before, he was deceiving Esau left and right. 20 years ago, he was doing that. Now, what's he calling him? My Lord. He's calling Esau, calling himself, your servant. Listen, I got a brother and a sister. I'm never going to call them my Lord, and I'm never going to refer to myself as their servant. Not going to happen. That's not how they left off 20 years ago, but Jacob's still worried. Esau's angry. So Jacob thinks, I've got the situation under control, ignoring God's promise. I got this thing worked out. Verse 6 of Genesis 32. The messengers returned to Jacob and they said, we went to Esau and he's coming to meet you. And he has 400 men with him. We went to meet Esau. Jacob, we did what you commanded us to do. He's coming to meet you, Jacob, right there. He probably thought, okay, things are going to be good. Esau's coming. My plan worked. Esau's not mad anymore. And then there's like a pause in the Bible. He's coming to meet you. Pause. Oh, by the way, Jacob, he has 400 men with him. Listen, I'm no expert in army or military tactics, but let me tell you something. This isn't good because Jacob doesn't have an army. But listen, what does he have? God on his side and a promise that God would be with him. Friends, can I remind us from this verse right here that even on our darkest days, that's enough? If God is on your side, and you have a promise that God will be with you, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. The Lord has given us his Holy Spirit. Even on our darkest days, God's presence is still enough for us. So what does Jacob do in response? Genesis 32, starting verse 7. Well, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people with him into two camps. Along with the flocks, the herds, and the camels, he thought if Esau comes to one camp, he'll attack it, and the remaining camp can escape. Takes his family divides it into two groups. He's finally thinking of other people for once, not just himself. He's thinking if if Esau attacks one, the others can flee and they'll be okay, I'll be okay. And then he realizes something too. He's going to put this back in the hands of God. And he prays in verses 9 through 12. Friends, a couple reminders I want us to see here. Have you noticed in our lives as well that sometimes the only time we go to God in prayer is when we have a need? Sometimes the only time that we turn back to God is when there's a situation that we realize that we can't handle on our own. Sometimes the Lord is going to put us in desperate situations to cause us to turn back to him so that he can intervene and we know he is still on his throne. Often God will allow us to get to that point because that's what it's going to take for us to turn back to him. We live in way too much self-sufficiency as followers of Jesus. And I believe that sometimes God will do whatever it takes to get us to be more sufficient and completely dependent upon him. 
Let's read Jacob's prayer in Genesis 32, starting in verse 9. He said, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, go back to your land and your family and I will prosper you. He said, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown me. Indeed, I crossed over the Jordan with what? My staff. And now I've come back and I've got two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau, for I'm afraid of him. Otherwise, he might come and attack me, their mothers and their children. And you have said, Lord, that I'll cause you to prosper. And I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, too numerous to be counted. Now listen, despite the circumstances around this prayer, we can learn a couple of things from Jacob about our current situation as a nation. First, what does Jacob do? He appeals to the faithfulness of God. He didn't start his prayer with a laundry list of requests. God, do this, 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 and this. Lord, do these things. Instead, what does he do? He says, God, you are faithful. God, you've been faithful to my grandpa Abraham. You've been faithful to my dad Isaac. And I need you to bring that same faithfulness back to me. Can I tell us something? Here's a truth for us to remember today. Don't get so caught up in your current situation that you forget God's past faithfulness. He hasn't changed. Even in desperate situations, God is still faithful. Friends, second thing Jacob does here is he prays God's words back to him. Obviously, at this time, they didn't have the recorded word of God like like we do in this capacity. We're a uniquely blessed people. But God knew, or Jacob knew, that God was a promise keeper. Hear me, if God said it, he's going to come through 100% of the time. He said, God, you said the blessing from my grandpa Abraham would come to me and don't fail me now. You know, in desperate situations, the greatest thing that you can do is pray God's promises back to him because then he'll answer your prayers 100% of the time. Third thing, what does Jacob do? He acknowledges God's kindness. How often do we pause and simply say, thank you, Jesus, despite the circumstances surrounding us? How often do we pause and we say, you know what? I'm going to drown out the uncertainty around me, and I'm simply going to say, God, you're good. Thank you for your goodness to me. Thank you that your grace is upon me and your kindness is shown to me. Even when life is spiraling out of control, thank you that Jesus is still risen. The grave is still empty, heaven is still my home, and my eternity is still secure because of what happened on that cross. How often do we do that? Fourth thing I want us to see, Jacob admits his inadequacy and need for God. He says, God, I can't do it. I need need your help. You're the only hope I have. But I find it interesting, God didn't respond to his prayer. God didn't say anything, not a sign from heaven, not a quick little, I got you, Jacob, things are going to be okay. In fact, it's nothing. God is silent. You feel that? Can I remind us of a couple truths here? Friends, just because we don't hear God doesn't mean he's not working. Just because we don't necessarily see his activity doesn't mean he's not working. Just because you're not sure if he is working doesn't mean God isn't working. Why? Because it's often in the silence that God is about to do his greatest work in us and around us. Just because it's quiet doesn't mean he's not doing anything. And even after this prayer, Jacob still attempts to do things his own way. He tries to appease Esau. Bible says he divided up those things, sent them ahead one by one to Esau. He thought, if I suck up enough to Esau, maybe he won't be angry. Maybe he'll forgive me. He sends a goat ahead, and (laughs) Jacob says, hi. He sends a cow ahead. He says, hey, hey bro, I'm coming. I hope you don't, you're ready for me. He sends a boat ahead. Esau, I'm on my way. The Bible says he crossed the stream, sent everything ahead of him, waited till morning after the gifts arrived to meet Esau. But listen, 
despite all of Jacob's preparation on his own, God still intervenes in his life to get Jacob back on track. Here's our second point as we begin to land the plane. We see God's trusted character. Genesis 32, 24 says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Pause. We just looked at nearly 10 chapters at the beginning of this message and the chaos surrounding Jacob's life, like so many things going on that really lead us to this moment. And all we get in this wrestling match is one verse. A man wrestled with Jacob until daybreak. I'm going to tell you something as a man. This is my worst nightmare. Nearly every evening I have to take the trash out to the side of my house and it's always pitch black outside. But as a man, and I'm sure guys you can sympathize with me here, we always have a plan of attack. Right, Because every man thinks, when I take the trash out, somebody's going to try to beat me up. Man, they're going to come from the neighbor's house, down the street, a park. A raccoon's going to show up. Who knows? Somebody's going to come to get me. But we always have a plan. So this is every man's worst nightmare. Jacob sent his family away. Everything's got, it's just Jacob in the middle of nowhere. Pitch black outside. And somebody jumped him. I love this part of the Bible. I think it's funny, 17 verses earlier, we read, and <laughs> this is crazy. We read that Jacob was praying, God, come help me. And what does God do? He says, all right, I'm about to come and beat you up. I love what God does there. Ever been there with the Lord? Jesus, come help me. And it's like God gives you a whooping to get your attention. We've all been there. It's crazy. Verse 24 says that Jacob wrestled with this man the entire night. He's emotionally exhausted trying to appease Esau. And then he has to fight this unknown man in pitch black darkness, not for a few minutes. Most guys can grapple for a few minutes. Jacob, on the other hand, eight hours He's got to fight this guy. 30, Genesis 32, 25. When the man saw that he could not defeat Jacob, he struck Jacob in the hip socket as they wrestled and he dislocated his hip. Notice the man who we later learn in a couple verses was God. Goes from not being able to defeat Jacob to dislocating his hip with one blow. The Hebrew word there actually means that he simply touched his hip. One finger, he, he touched his hip and his hip went out of socket. What's happening here? Don't miss this. This is a picture of the mercy of God. You see, God came, came out of heaven, out onto Jacob's level, and at any second, God could have crushed Jacob. But instead, God didn't. What's he doing here? God is getting Jacob to the end of himself. He's removing every little bit of pride that was left in him. He's taking away every ounce of self-sufficiency that Jacob had left. Why? To get him to trust God completely. Amen. Again, let me give us a reminder today. Often the Lord's going to do the same to me and to you. Sometimes he's going to put us in situations, scenarios, where we are stripped of our own self-sufficiency, where we have to be put in this place of complete dependency upon him so we realize he's all that we need. Verse 26, after this interaction, the man God tells Jacob to let him go, to which Jacob responds, I will not let you go until you bless me. At first, Jacob didn't know who it was, but now he knows after eight hours, this is God. Remember, this seems like a strange story, but this is not uncommon in the Old Testament. God came to Abraham as a man. God came to Isaac as a man. God came to us who as a man in the person of Jesus. This is just the first time it's happened to Jacob. Verse 26 of Genesis 32 says that Jacob is no longer fighting. Don't miss this. What's he doing with God now? He's clinging to him. For 20 years, he fought God. Now he's clinging to God. How many of us have been in that scenario or are sitting there right now where everything is spiraling around us, uncertain? We're wondering, what does tomorrow hold? And God goes, cling to me. I've got it. 
He's no longer wrestling. He's holding on to God. He knows if God doesn't come through, he's sunk. It took two decades, but God got him there. He's run from him, but now he's back. The end of himself. Look at how God responds in verse 27. He asked Jacob his name. Why? Because Jacob's name, we said in the beginning of this message, meant deceiver, liar, grabber. Up to this point, that's who Jacob was, and he'd never admitted it. The last time he was asked that question, what is your name, was Genesis chapter 27. Remember how he answered? Crazy, liar and deceiver. I'm Jacob. God was getting him to admit that the problem was not around him, but the problem was him. The problem he has was not external, but it was an internal problem. How often do we think, Lord, everything is going wrong around me, and God is simply using external circumstances to reveal an internal problem. God is sometimes going to use things around us to point the gospel back to us so that we realize I've got things I need to deal with so that I can draw closer to Jesus because I've been too self-sufficient. I've been too self-dependent and I need to be dependent upon God. Friends, have you ever considered maybe God allows dark days in the life of a Christian to produce internal repentance? There's a time and a reason for everything God does. Maybe he's looking for us as the church to repent in our country. Then God changes Jacob's name. In the Bible, anytime your name was changed, it signified a new beginning, a fresh start. He goes from Jacob to Israel. His name goes from deceiver to overcomer. God changed him because Jacob repented, and he gave him the name from a liar to the name of a nation. Look at verse 30 and 31. Jacob named that place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And then what does he say? Then the sun shone on Jacob as he passed by Peniel. And watch this, friends. And he limped away because of his hip. He changed his identity, and then Jacob has to limp to meet Esau. Why is that significant? Because for 20 years, he had ran. Now he could only limp. For 20 years, he had ran from God and fought from God. Now the only option he had was to limp to Esau and trust God completely. The quote we read at the beginning said, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. You see, it wasn't until God fully allowed Jacob's faith to be tested that now Jacob finally had a faith that God could trust and do something with. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. If you remember at the beginning of Jacob's life, he had one thing with him, a staff. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 21. At the end of his life, it says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, he's at the end of his life, he blessed each of his, the sons of Joseph. And what does he do when he's about to die? He worshipped and he leaned on top of his staff. At the end of his life, as he's about to exit to heaven, Jacob does two things. He worshipped and he leaned on his staff. Why? Because everything else he had accumulated was worthless. And that simple staff we see as a reminder from Genesis 32, verse 10, was the reminder that no matter what this world offers him, no matter what was happening around him, no matter how chaotic things seemed, that simple staff as he leaned there and worshiped at the end of his life was the reminder that God was all he needed. Friends, my encouragement to you today is that we're living in trying times. Today we are at the intersection of uncertainty and I want to simply remind us on the authority of God's word that God is faithful, that Jesus is still of, on the throne 
and even when things are uncertain, of that truth, I am still certain. And maybe, just maybe, God wants to use this trial, this tribulation, to draw you and I to repentance so he can mold us into who he needs us to be for the advancement of his kingdom in the future. Friends, if you don't know Jesus and you're listening to this stream, the Bible says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God, will raise, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your eternity can change through a simple prayer of Jesus. I'm a sinner. Take control of my life. I want to trust you forever. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that now. Let me pray for us as Pastor Joe comes and leads us in a closing song. Lord Jesus, thank you again for this time we've had together. Lord, the privilege that it is to open your word. God, we covered a lot of ground today. But Lord, what we needed today was not a pep talk on, on anything. God, we needed your word. And I pray that your word, God, would saturate our hearts in uncertainty, in chaos, that we would remember your faithfulness and remember that you're drawing us to repentance, God, and that you're all we need. That we would trust Jesus completely because you are all that we need. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. I want to give us just a few simple reminders. First off, um, I encourage you towards generosity this week. Although we haven't been able to gather in person this week, there's still so many things that uh, we need your generosity for. And so I encourage you, if you typically give in person, visit our website, livinghopecolumbus.com, and participate in that with us. Secondly, stay tuned for opportunity. This week, we'll be releasing opportunities that you have and even some ideas on how to serve your neighbors and your coworkers and even those in your community that you may not know at all and how to serve them well. But lastly, uh, we're going to see how this next few weeks progress, and we'll keep you updated on uh, what we're going to be doing moving forward on Sundays, following the recommendations of the, the state and federal government and the CDC, and we'll keep you informed of all of those things. Um, but I, I want to let you know this as, as your pastor and speaking on behalf of Pastor Joe as well. We love you. And it is so strange, if I had to put a word to it, to be here this morning and you not be here. I'm not an overly emotional or huggy person, y'all know that, but it's strange not standing at the front door and shaking your hand and giving you a hug as you walk through these doors today. It's strange bringing the word of God and knowing that you're not sitting in this room today. It's strange not sitting in our lobby and just having a cup of coffee and hanging out. It's, it's odd. We love you and we miss you. And as your pastors, I want you to know that we long for the day where we can all gather again as a church family and be united as the body of Christ that we call Living Hope Columbus. Look for ways to serve people this week. Look for ways to love people. Look for ways to interject the gospel into everyday life wherever the Lord sends you and scatters you this week because the church not only gathers weekly, but we scatter daily. Use this opportunity to serve people. I love you all. We'll see you soon. Hope you have a great week. Be sure to share this video with friends and family who maybe do not know Jesus yet as a great tool and a resource to share the gospel with them. Love you guys. We'll see you soon.